Chapter Four of Chip of the Flying U. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chip of the Flying U by B. M. Bauer. Chapter Four An Ideal Picture. I guess I'll go down to Denson's today, said J. G. at the breakfast table one morning. Maybe we can get that grass widow to come and keep house for us. I don't want any old grass widow to keep house, protested Della. I'm getting along well enough, so long as Patsy bakes the bread and meat and cake and stuff. It's just fun to keep house. The only trouble is, there isn't half enough to keep me busy. I'm going to get a license to practice medicine, so if there's any sickness around, I can be of some use. You say, it's fifty miles to the nearest doctor. But that needn't make a grass widow necessary. I can keep house. It looks better than when I came, and you know it. Which remark would have hurt the feelings of several well-meaning cowpunchers, had they overheard it. Oh, I ain't finding fault with your housekeeping. You do pretty well for a green hand. But Patsy'll have to go with a roundup when it starts, and what men I keep on the ranch... We'll have to eat with us. That's the way I've been used to fixing things. I was never so good I couldn't eat at the same table with my men. If they wasn't fit for my company, I fired em and got fellows that was. I've had this bunch a good long while now. You can do all right with just me, but you couldn't cook for two or three men. You can't cook good enough, even if it wasn't too much work. J.G. had a blunt way of stating disagreeable facts occasionally. "'Very well. Get your grass widow, by all means,' retorted she, with much wasted dignity. "'She's a swell cook and a fine housekeeper, and she'll keep you from getting lonesome. She's good company, the countess is.' He grinned when he said it. "'I'll have Chip catch up the creams, and you get ready and go along with us. It'll give you a chance to size up the kind of neighbors you got.' There was real pleasure in driving swiftly over the prairie land through the sweet spring sunshine, and Miss Whitmore tingled with enthusiasm till they drove headlong into a deep coulee which sheltered the Denson family. "'This road is positively dangerous,' she exclaimed, when they reached a particularly steep place and chipped through all his weight upon the brake. "'We'll get the Countess in beside you coming back, and then you won't rattle around in the seat so much. She's good and solid. Just hang on to her, and you'll be all right, said J.G. If I don't like her looks, and I know I won't, I'll get into the front seat, and you can hang on to her yourself, Mr. J.G. Whitmore. Chip, who had been silent till now, glanced briefly over his shoulder. It's a cinch. You'll take the front seat, he remarked laconically. J.G., if you hire a woman like that. Like what? Doggone it. It takes a woman to jump at conclusions. The Countess is all right. She talks some. I'd tell a man she does, broke in Chip tersely. Well, show me the woman that don't. Don't you be bluffed so easy, Dell. I never seen the woman yet that Chip had any time for. The Countess is all right. And she certainly can cook. I'll admit she talks considerable. Chip laughed grimly, and the old man subsided. 
At the house, a small, ginger-whiskered man came down to the gate to greet them. "'Why, howdy-do. I couldn't make out who was coming, but Mary, she up and recognized the horses. Get right out and come on in. We've had our dinner, but I guess the women folk can serve you up a bite of something. This your sister? We heard she was up to your place. She's the one that set one of your horse's leg?' Bill, he was telling me about it. I don't know, as women horse doctors is very common, but I don't know why not. I get a horse with something the matter with his foot, and I don't know what. I'd like to have you take a look at it before you go. Of course, I expect to pay you. The old man winked appreciatively at Chip before he came humanely to the rescue and explained that his sister was not a horse doctor, and Mr. Denson, looking very disappointed, reiterated his invitation to enter. Mrs. Denson, a large woman, who narrowly escaped being ginger-whiskered like her husband, beamed upon them from the doorway. "'Come right on in. Louise, here's company. The house is all tore up. We've been trying to clean house a little. Lay off your things, and I'll get you some dinner right away. I'm awfully glad you come over. I do hate to see folks stand on ceremony out here, we're neighbors is so scarce. I guess you think we ain't been very neighborly, but we've been trying to clean house, and me and Louise ain't had a minute we could dast call our own. Or we've been over to seen you before now. You must get awful lonesome, coming right out of the east, where neighbors is thick. Do lay off your things. Della looked appealingly at J.G., who again came to the rescue. Somehow, he made himself heard long enough to explain their errand, and to emphasize the fact that they were in a great hurry and had eaten dinner before they started from home. In his sister's opinion, he made one exceedingly rash statement. He said that he wished to hire Mrs. Denson's sister for the summer. Mrs. Denson immediately sent a shrill call for Louise. Then appeared the Countess, tall, gaunt, muscular, with sallow skin and a nervous manner. "'The front seat or walk,' declared Miss Whitmore mentally, after a brief scrutiny, and began storing up a scathing rebuke for J.G. "'Louise, this is Miss Whitmore,' began Mrs. Denson cheerfully, fortified by a fresh lungful of air. "'They're after you to go and keep house for em, and I guess you'd better go, seeing we got the house cleaned.' all but whitewashing the cellar and the milk room, and calzmining the upstairs. And I'll make Bill do that, and it won't hurt him a mite. They'll give you twenty-five dollars a month, and keep you all summer, and as much longer as his sister stays. I guess you might as well go, for they can't get anybody else that'll keep things up in shape and be company for his sister, and I believe in helping a neighbor out when you can." You go right and pack up your trunk. And don't worry about me. I'll get along somehow. Now the house cleaning's most done. Louise had been talking also, but her sister seemed to have a stronger pair of lungs, for her voice drowned that of the countess, who retreated to pack up. The minutes dragged by to the tune of several chapters of family history as voluminously interpreted by Mrs. Denson. Miss Whitmore had always boasted the best behaved of nerves, but this day she developed a genuine case of fidgets. 
Once she saw Chip's face turned inquiringly toward the window and telegraphed her state of mind while Mrs. Denson's back was turned, so eloquently that Chip was swept at once into sympathetic good-fellowship. He arranged the cushion on the front seat significantly and was rewarded by an emphatic, though furtive, nod and smile, whereupon he leaned comfortably back, rolled a cigarette, and smoked contentedly at peace with himself and the world, though he did not in the least know why. And as I told Louise, folks has got to put up with things and not be hunting trouble with a club all the time if they expect to get any comfort out of this life. We ain't had the best of luck, seems to me, but we always get along somehow, and we ain't had no sickness except when... A confused uproar arose in the room above them, followed immediately by a humpty bump and a crash as a small pink object burst open a door and rolled precipitately into their midst. It proved to be one of the little Densons, who kicked feebly with both feet and then lay still. Mercy upon us, Ellen, who pushed Sari down them stairs? She's kilt. Della sprang up and lifted the child in her arms, passing her hand quickly over the head and plump body. Bring a little cold water, Mrs. Denson. She's only stunned, I think. Well, it does beat all how handy you got to work. Anybody else could see you know your business. I'm awful glad you was here. There, darling, don't cry. Ellen and Josephine and Sibley and Marguerite, you come down here to me. The quartet, snuffling and reluctant, was dragged ignominiously to the middle of the floor and there confessed, mid tears and much recrimination, that they had been peeping down at the company through various knot-holes in the chamber floor, that, as Sari's knot-hole was next to the wall, her range of vision was restricted to the thin spot upon the crown of J.G.'s head and the back of his neck. Sari longed for sight of the woman horse-doctor, and when she essayed to crowd in and usurp Ellen's point of vantage, there ensued a war of extermination, which ended in the literal downfall of Sari. By the time this checked apron court of inquiry adjourned, Louise appeared and said she believed she was ready, and Miss Whitmore escaped from the house far in advance of the others, and such were Chip's telepathic powers that he sprang down voluntarily and assisted her to the front seat without a word being said by either. Followed a week of dullness at the ranch, with the Countess scrubbing and dusting and cleaning from morning till night. The little doctor, as the bunkhouse had christened her, was away attending the state medical examination at Helena. Gee whiz, sighed Cal, on Sunday afternoon. It seems mighty queer without the little doctor around here, sassin' the old man and putting the whole bunch of us on the fence about once a day. If it wasn't for Len Adams... It wouldn't do you any good to throw a nasty loop at the little doctor, broke in Weary, cause she's spoken for by all signs and tokens. There's some fellow back east got a long rope on her. You got the papers for that, jeered Cal. The little doctor don't act the way I'd want my girl to act, supposing I was some thousand or fifteen hundred miles off her range. She ain't doing no pining, I'll tell you those. She's done a lot of writing, though. I'll bet money, if we called the roll right here, 
you'd see that there'd been a letter a week hitting the trail to one Dr. Cecil Grantham, Gilroy, Ohio. That's what, agreed Jack Bates. I packed one last week myself. I done worse than that, said Weary blandly. I up and fired a shot at her after the second one she handed me. I says, as innocent, I suppose if I lost this, there'd be a fellow out here on the next train with blood in his eye and a six-gun in both hands, demanding explanations. And she flashed them dimples on me and twinkled them big gray eyes of hers and says, It's up to you to carry it safe then, or words to that effect. I took notice. She didn't deny but what he would. Two doctors in one family. Gee whiz, mused Cal. If I hadn't got the only girl God ever made right, I'd give one Dr. Cecil Grantham of Gilroy, Ohio, a run for his money. I'll tell you those. I'd impress it upon him that a man's taking long chances when he stands and lets his best girl stampede out here among us cowpunchers for a change of grass. That fellow needs looking after. He ain't finished his education. Jackie, you ain't got a female girl yanking your heart around. Sail in and show us what you can do in that line. Nit, said Jack Bates briefly. My heart's doing business at the old stand and doing it satisfactory and proper. I don't want to set it to bucking over a girl that wouldn't have me at any price. Let's slim. The little doctor's half stuck on him anyhow. While the boys amused themselves in serious debate with Slim, Chip put away his magazine and went down to visit Silver in the box stall. He was glad they had not attempted to draw him into the banter. They had never once thought to do so, probably, though he had been thrown into the company of the little doctor more than any of the others, for several good reasons. He had broken the creams to harness and always drove them, for the old man found them more than he cared to tackle. And there was Silver, with frequent discussions over his progress toward recovery, and some argument over his treatment, for Chip had certain ideas of his own concerning horses and was not backward about expressing them upon occasion. That the little doctor should write frequent letters to a man in the East did not concern him. Why should it? Still, a fellow without a home and without some woman who cares for him cannot escape having his loneliness thrust upon him at times. He wondered why he should care. Surely, ten years of living his life alone ought to kill that latent homesickness which used to hold him awake at nights. Sometimes, even of late years, when he stood guard over the cattle at night and got to thinking, oh, it was hell to be all alone in the world. There were Cal and Weary. They had girls who loved them, and they were sure welcome to them. And Jack Bates and Happy Jack had sisters and mothers. And even Slim had an old maid aunt who always knitted him a red and green pair of wristlets for Christmas. Chip, smoothing mechanically the shimmery white mane of his pet, thought he might be contented if he had even an old maid aunt, but he would see that she made his wristlets of some other color than those bestowed every year upon Slim. As for the little doctor, it would be something strange if she had gone through life without having some fellow in love with her. Probably, if the truth was known, 
There had been more than Dr. Cecil Grantham. Bah, what a sickening name. Cecil, it might as well be Adolphus or Reggie or... What does a man want to pack around a name like that for? Probably he was the kind of man that the name sounded like. A dude with pink cheeks. Chip knew just how he looked. Inspiration suddenly seizing upon him, he sat down upon the manger, drew his memorandum book out of his inner coat pocket, carefully sharpened a bit of lead pencil which he found in another pocket, tore a leaf from the book, and, with Silver looking over his shoulder, drew a graphic, ideal picture of Dr. Cecil Grantham. End of Chapter 5 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas.